singing the song, What Kind of Man Is This? That song is drawn from Mark chapter 4, right at the end of chapter 4. I'm going to begin in the first verse of chapter 5. And many people think that that journey that brought them into the storm was culminated in chapter 5. So they got in the boat to go to the other side of the lake. The storm came that the women have just sung about. And they continued their journey after that storm was stilled in Mark chapter 5. So if you have your Bibles, flip on over there. I'll begin reading in verse 1. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs. And no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied. For we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs. Allow us to go into them. He gave them permission and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, Go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. Perhaps you thought that the purpose of the trip across the Sea of Galilee was so that Jesus would say, Peace be still to the storm. And in a way, it was. But there was another storm brewing in the countryside that day, a storm of a different kind, 
with mighty waves and wind, and it had damaged a human being. And Jesus made this trip across the Sea of Galilee, seven miles wide in a boat, maybe 22 feet long, maybe with his disciples at the oars. Have you ever rowed seven miles? Or maybe with a slight wind in the sail, we don't know. But it was worked across this sea. He crossed the sea and went to the other side for one reason, that he might meet a man. And when he met that man, he got in the boat and left. Jesus made this trip not to meet a man who was the governor of the region or the mayor of the city or the king of the province. Jesus sailed across the Sea of Galilee for the purpose of meeting a man who had a storm inside his soul that had reduced him almost to subhuman level. I want you to see the misery, the miserable condition of this person that Mark goes to some lengths to describe. A man who lives in the cemetery, cries out all night and cuts himself with stones. What kind of man is this? Last week we saw the enemies of Jesus in the synagogue knowing he wouldn't be able to resist this man with the shriveled hand. He would have to heal him on the Sabbath day. They just knew this was in him. And sure enough, when Jesus saw the man in the synagogue that day with the shriveled hand, he called him to the center. And his enemies were saying, we knew it. He cannot resist the need. He sees a need. And he goes to that need. And Jesus made this trip across the sea because he knew there was a man who lived in the tombs that needed him. It's all kind of human misery in the world. And if you structure your life right, you might be able to avoid most of it most of the time. But if you were to structure your journey on this planet in such a way that you minimized your exposure to human need, you would be the opposite kind of traveler that your Lord Jesus was. You really wouldn't be following in his steps if you only went to the palaces and the castles and the people with power and success. If your journey, in fact, lacked exposure to the miserable condition of some human beings, it would be very unlike the journey of our Lord, who on purpose went out of his way, not only here but many times, to address the need of human beings who suffered greatly. It happens in your town, in your neighborhood in your city, in the place where you live, people who are hurting. And Jesus has called us as his followers to follow in his footsteps and meet 
that need. So here at First Baptist, we say, we gather to go where? We gather to go to the need. Jesus has deployed us like the Father deployed Him. As the Father sent me, so send I you. We are deployed to the need by our Lord. And human misery is our calling and responsibility. God has given us this challenge to meet human beings where they are at the point of their need, as the song just said. There was one man in the region of the Gerasenes who would be touched by the Savior, and he was the man in most miserable condition. So I would say to you, you've come to this room today, and maybe you would say to yourself as you hear about this man, I am the person most in need. If it is the case that you came here and you yourself are the person most in need, you are the person most in sorrow, most brokenhearted, most held captive by evil forces in your life, if that is you, then you are the special attention of Jesus this morning. His eyes are especially on you. He came to seek and save the one that was lost. And if that's you, then he's looking at you. He's drawn to your need because he loves you overwhelmingly as he loved this man who lived in the tombs. I think about him and I wonder, what kind of force inside of a man drives him to the cemetery, away from his family, away from his friends, away from all the social circles that seem to sustain us? And here is this man, isolated and alone, living in the tombs, crying out all night, hurting himself with stones. What kind of force drives this man? And I think about the people in our day who cut themselves. There's some kind of release. This man is so tormented within that cutting himself kind of helps feel him, be him feel better. He's suffering so he lacks the peace of heart. And he's in those mountains crying out at night because life makes no sense to him. And Satan, whom Jesus said came to steal and kill and destroy is stealing from this man. And he aims to kill him and destroy him. This man has in him what the devil hates most, which is the image of God. And he would destroy him. That would be his purpose in the gathering demoniac and in you. If you suppose that the force of evil in your life is passive and only active if you call it to be, you are wrong. The devil, the Scripture says, go about, goes about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He'd like to devour you. In fact, there are people still like this man, the gathering demoniac, who are enslaved by forces 
within their mind and heart, who are driven from the people that they should love and who should love them. And isolated and alone, they live day after day and they cry the tears nobody sees. And life for them is a lonely vigil. And they need someone to come to them like Jesus came to Gerasa. Church of Jesus Christ, open your eyes again to the need that is around you. If you are the one who uh, avoids the nursing home at all cost, I would say that attitude isn't much like Jesus. If you're the one who doesn't go to the hospital if somebody's sick because you don't want to see that, you're not much like Jesus. If somebody dies and you stay away because you don't know what to say, that's a little bit opposite of who Jesus is. If you are repelled by human suffering and need and sickness and you want to keep it out of your vision and experience, you're not much like Jesus who makes a trip across the Sea of Galilee to meet one man possessed by a legion of devils. I want you to see the miserable condition not only of this man but of many in our community, in our city, in the place where you live. And I want you to believe in this miraculous transformation. This amazing transformation that happens to this man. He who was crying out all night and cutting himself with stones is now dressed and seated. And the Bible says, in his right mind. Having met Jesus and Jesus having spoken to the evil forces that invaded his life and liberated him from the slavery to which he was bound. He is now one of the most transformed people anybody's ever seen. And I want you to believe that Jesus transforms people just like that. And he did it not only in his day, but he does it this very day. Still today, God finds miserable People who are in conditions of terrible distress and he reaches out his hand, he saves them by his grace, he forgives their sin, he sets them up and gives them a new life. This last week, you know, I was preaching for the NBA All-Star Chapel. There were two guys there, young men running sound, like these guys are running sound back here. And I went over to meet them before the meeting. And just introduce myself. They introduced themselves to me. And I thought, running sound in a hotel. I said to the guys, do you guys know Leonard Christensen? And one of them had a great big smile on his face. And he said, I know Leonard. He was my mentor in this work. He taught me how to do this. And I said... Did he ever tell you his story? And a young man said, yes, he did. And it's amazing. That's the word in the Bible. Amazing. 
They are amazed at what happened to this man. This young man was amazed at Leonard's story, at what happened to him, living on the streets, homeless, hopelessly drunk, down at the mission. He heard the good news of Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ saved Leonard Christensen and cleaned him up and sobered him up. I baptized him. He became part of our staff. He's now moved to Florida. You say, What's this story? It's a story just like the one I read in the Bible of a guy who some would say was hopelessly lost. But Jesus has the power to transform such a life. And thank God Leonard told his story. I knew he would. He loves to tell his story of how God changed his life. Just like Jesus said to this man, you go tell your story. You tell your story to your family, your friends, and your hometown of what God has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. Believe in the amazing transformation that Christ can bring. Believe in the power of the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit to change a man's life. Somebody said, why wouldn't Jesus let this man go with him? And I came up with a reason I didn't read anywhere else, but I think it's a good one. He wanted that man to stay in Garissa, that little community that knew him best, so they could watch him and see that what Jesus did for him was permanent. Because sometimes we don't believe in the transformation. You know, they come home and we say, oh, it'll wear off. Yeah, yeah, he got religion. It'll be over pretty soon. And we don't believe that there's, a, there's the power in Christ to permanently change an individual. You know, I was preaching in that very mission where Leonard ended up one day. And as I was preaching about the power of the gospel to transform a human being, a man in the back stood up and he said, I don't believe it. Our destiny, he said, is written in the stars and people don't change. And he got up and he left that little chapel. And I preached to him the whole way out. Because I know he was wrong. And Jesus is right and the Bible is right that God changes people. And the person most desperately in need that you know is somebody whom the power of Christ could change. If any man, any man, Leonard or the gathering demoniac, if any man is in Christ, he is what? A new creation. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Embrace it. Believe in the amazing transformation God can bring to that friend that you love, that family member who is wayward right now, that person who's hooked on drugs or alcohol in your life and you're wondering. Just continue to believe that God can change that person. Now, there's a sad thing that happens in this story. I want you to consider the surprising response of these people who are told about the healing of this man who lived in the tombs, who see him sitting there clothed and in his right mind. And they are afraid. They are afraid. You can't be in the presence of such power without a stirring in your heart like maybe going on in you 
right now. There could be a conviction stirring in your heart right now, something saying to you, you need this new life. See, it happens to people. It happened to those townspeople when they saw that gathering demoniac and stirring in. And this is a power beyond their ability to control or comprehend. And they are afraid. They're afraid of that power. And they asked Jesus to leave. In fact, they begged him to leave that region. So comfortable were they in their familiar pattern. So happy they were with the situation they had that even the transformation of the most maniacal man in the region could not budge them to want to change in their own life. People often send Jesus away. They know of a change that happened in a friend or a family member, and it stirs something in them, but then they just say, no, I got it. I got this. I don't want that. The life change, the lifestyle change, the turning loose of something you dearly love. You realize if Jesus comes into your life, if you receive him as Lord and Savior, he's going to demand of you something you don't want to change. And so you beg him to leave, to get out of the region. God comes close to so many hearts, and we do just what these people did. We say, Jesus, would you go? I challenge you not to do that. If God stirs in your heart today, something about your own transformation. If you read about this man and you know there's something of the gathering demoniac in me. There's something in me. I've been hurting myself. I've been doing things that have brought me and loved ones pain. Maybe not cutting myself with stones, but in other ways. I have self-inflicted wounds and I know it. And they have a kind of relief for me because I have a torment inside and they're just symptoms of an emptiness of heart, a loss of purpose and peace, not knowing who you are or why you are in the world or maybe the invasion of an evil practice, a wickedness that has come into your life and it has set its claws in you and you feel like you're the host of this thing. And sometimes you imagine that this evil thing is really you. It's who you are. And Jesus comes to say, you are delivered from the thing that has bound you and sickened you and pulled you down and hurt you. The thing that is aimed at self-destruction in you. Jesus can speak the word of power to the storm in you and say like he said to this gathering demoniac, peace. Peace, peace. Wouldn't you love to have peace? What would you give for peace? Would you give 2,000 pigs? <laughs> you know, some people wouldn't. That's a lot of pig. There are people who hang on to the old life because... They have a vested interest in the status quo. 
The status quo, though it be painful, supports their lifestyle. And they don't want to mess it up. And so if it's 2,000 pigs that would cost them to give their life to Jesus, it's too much. Part of the reason they said, would you please leave, is because the economics of it didn't make sense to the people that owned the pigs and maybe tended them. They didn't want to pay the price for having Jesus on their shores. I have it down in my calendar. The execution date of Carla Faye Tucker. I mention her now and then because for four years I taught her the scriptures while she was on death row. And I baptized her in the Texas Department of Criminal Justice in their maximum security unit. The district attorney said when she walked into the courtroom in Harris County to be tried for the murder of two people, his own blood ran cold when he saw her. And he thought to himself, she could kill me as easily as she killed her two victims. And a chaplain named Rebecca shared the gospel with her in the Harris County Jail. And before she left that jail, she became a Christian. Somebody said, well, was it real? I don't know, but I know Dean Smith, the lady who walked in the pipe chase above death row for years and years, and that's all she did was watch him. The people who most believed in Carla Faye Tucker's transformation were the people who watched her 24-7. And the last time I saw her and was on death row, she had taught the death row inmates how to sign deaf language because one of them was deaf, Betty Beats, who was also executed two years later. And they did a quartet for me and sang a gospel hymn and signed it for me and for Betty. God changes people. And if he's knocking on your heart today, I suggest you don't run away. You run to him. Would you? Let's bow together. If you've never trusted Jesus as Savior, but you feel prompted in your heart to do so, would you just pray, Lord, I know I'm a sinner, but I need you in my life. I ask you to forgive me of my sin. I believe you died on the cross for me and rose again from the dead, and I commit my life to you. Would you just pray that prayer, committing your life to Christ? God, I pray today that someone in this room will feel the movement of your spirit within and run to you. God, by your Holy Spirit, draw us to yourself. Help us to recognize your voice and to heed and obey. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.